episode 101 of Coffee and Co-Read, your source for all things literary with Catherine and Kristen, where we believe there's nothing better than a hot coffee and an awesome book. Join us for our virtual book club where we take one book a month and dive into all the drama, adventure, and romance we can find. Hi, Catherine. Hey, Kristen. Uh, so it is new book month day. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Book month day. Uh, Book Month Day. So we are starting Divine Rivals by Rebecca Ross. Uh, It's been a frequent on Book Talk and all over social media. So we figured we would dive right in. Um, So like always, when we get a new book, we always talk about how we got into it. This one is going to be fairly straightforward. Catherine, how did you get into Divine Rivals? Um, I think you had mentioned it. I think you mentioned the book in general and that you had seen it and that it was pretty popular. So I was like, cool. And I tried to order it from our normal bookstore and couldn't find it. So then we were having a conversation throughout all of this because I was like, I can only find it on Amazon. So then I ordered it on Amazon. And before it even came, I think I realized or I looked it up and it was like listed as YA. And I was like, "Mm, I don't think I'm going to read this. So I actually gave the copy to my niece for Christmas. <laughs> but then Great. after we read last month's, I think we were like, well, we should give it a try or whatever. Like we ended up yeah, deciding to do it. So I had to order it again. Um, and I bought the audiobook. So I've literally bought this book three times. Um, <laughs> you know, normal shit. Um, but yeah. So I was a bit hesitant going in, and I will say I found the beginning kind of slow. I don't know if I would have pushed through it as easily if we weren't, if we hadn't planned to do it. Right. And yeah, like, I would agree with you. So this, this book is super popular. Like, people love it. It's all over social media. So that's primarily why, because we were like, oh, you know. There must be something to this. Well, that's how we really People got are... into um, Fourth Wing, too. So, like... Yes, yeah. We and usually... Serpent in the Wings of Night. Yeah, so, like, if something's really popular, and, like, obviously, it can go either way, but if something's really popular, we're, like, yeah, that there must be something behind it. So we love trying new books yeah. because of that. Yeah, and I did... Um, I asked on one of my Facebook groups what books we should do, and... Uh, this got not recommended a couple of times mm-hmm. so uh so yeah we i ordered it on amazon i think i actually got it on like did i get it for like black friday sale or something like that i think i oh, got yeah. it like cheaper than normal mm-hmm. um and yeah i like we don't usually talk about it but i actually it looks beautiful like the cover the cover art, I guess you'll say, is yeah. is, is very nice. And so, I like um, if you're a. Do you mean like underneath the jacket? Is that no, like the jacket? Oh, okay. I like. Yeah. I think the jacket is beautiful. And then it's got the blue it. inside, but yeah, underneath is cute too because oh, I love cute. when it actually. Yeah. Yeah. There's it's a typewriter really... underneath. Hmm. And is yours blue? That's cute. On the inside. Yeah. Yeah, it is beautiful. Yeah. Big fan. So if you're an aesthetic person, 
<laughs> like it's a good choice. Yeah, for read those this aesthetics book. in the room. Even if you're not going to read it, just put it on your bookshelf. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's so many books that now that like have the sprayed edges on um like when you go looking through I use the site Indigo cuz I use chapters whatever we have here. Um, but I go through and they have all these special editions with sprayed edges now. And I'm like, do I need to buy this book just because it's pretty? Like, why are, why is it out with sprayed edges? And then I assume I need to buy it. So I have a few in my cart right now that I'm like, should I, should I not? I know nothing about these books. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So should we just get into it or do we want to talk a bit more about the book? Yeah, no, I think we're good to get into it. We, like, again, we don't really have a lot. It's not like we have an origin story for it. We just no. saw it online and thought it would be fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that so works. we're doing it. <laughs> um, we are doing it. And, yeah, so my expectations going in were low. And I did get hooked. So. Yeah. And I will say that. I will I will agree with you. It did take me a little bit to get into it. Like, it probably wasn't, it was probably the second half of the book that got me involved. Yeah, I was in by, like, Like, the first, yeah, you were. Gonna say, I was like, how is this gonna be a thing? When is it gonna be a relationship-y? And then when it, like, started showing that there was something behind the scenes, I was like, okay, I'm in. (laughs) Yeah. I just found, so like for me, my interpretation of getting hooked is if I like, if I struggle to put it down. And for me, I did not struggle putting this book down. I was like, yeah, okay, I can leave that now. Like I'm okay with putting it down and doing something else mm-hmm. until like the second half. Yeah. I think it was like, to be fair, I think it was chapter 29 and I was like, okay, I can put this down now. And then after that, I was like, no. Yeah, and like the the last, I guess the last little bit of the book, I I didn't even take notes because I was like, "What yes, is happening?" <laughs> so, yeah, that's the same with me. Yeah, yeah. So um, this this book is YA. I would say um, I would agree with what I found, um, but just a heads up, it's not a spoiler free zone. Um, and things could get saucy. Like, they won't get Probably not in not. the book. Who knows what we'll say. Me. <laughs> yeah. Well, there will probably yeah, be some swearing. Right. <laughs> so that's yeah. a thing. Things will get saucy on our end, not on the book's end. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. So Rebecca Ross is the author of Divine Rivals. And she writes fantasy books for teens and adults. Apparently she does have adult books. And when I read that, I was like, shit, we should have looked at one of her other series. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And maybe we will at some point. But she has two other duologies, Elements of Cadence, which is an adult book, and The Queen's Rising, which is YA. And she has two standalone YA books, Dreams Lie Beneath and Sisters of Sword and Song. So I'd be interested to read her adult duology to see how different it is. Because, like, mm-hmm. the step from YA to NA is literally just, in a lot of cases, adding swearing and adding sex. So I just wonder, like, how she writes it and if it would be as good. So, definitely interested in that. 
Um, so Divine Rivals is actually the first book in the Letters of Enchantment duology. Uh, the second book is called Ruthless Vows, and it was actually released just this past December. Boxing Day, December 26th, 2023, which is, is very recent. Um, Boxing Day isn't a thing I, in the States. <laughs> oh. Apparently, what? apparently Boxing Day isn't a thing in the States. It's not? I don't think so. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, just a little tidbit of information. <laughs> oh. I think it's a Canadian okay. thing. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah. Sorry, were you going to say something else? Uh, I will say I had no idea that the duology was called the mm. Enchanted Letters of Ch- Enchantment. Yeah, the Letters of Enchantment. Like, it doesn't say that anywhere. No, but that's what I felt like about um, Fourth Wing, not to keep bringing Fourth Wing up, but it's called, like, the Imperium or something, and I'm like, they said that once in the first book, and yeah. that was the only time it's been mentioned. But, like, I guess... There's three more books, but anyway, I, I guess it's fun. Yeah. I just, I don't know, man. I just like, and maybe I get, I don't know. I'm just feeling a kind of way. <laughs> That's not enough of an explanation to give me any context <laughs> <laughs> about naming because them two like, different things or. I just like about, okay. So like, oh God, like. Throne of Glass series is the Throne of Glass series, mm-hmm. right? But she Crescent has one City to... is Crescent City. But it's... Akatar is the Akatar series. I know, but Crescent City isn't the name of the books. It's the series, though. Yeah, so it's, it's like, it's like City, this one. A House of Earth. But it says Crescent City on the cover. Crescent City, A House of Earth and Blood. Doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. I just, like, you're just throwing... Same with, like, like... The Six of Crows is the Six of Crows duology. Yeah. That like, one, you're just throwing out the letters of enchantment. Like, where does it say that? Like, at least have it on the cover somewhere or something. You know what I mean? Like, put it on the inside. Yeah. But I feel even. like our last like, book was kind of like that, too. Our last book had a different name for the duology because it was like the House of Night duology. And then in the total of it, the series is even a different name. You know what I mean? And it doesn't say it anywhere? Oh, I don't know. Um, I can't like, remember. I don't mind if the name of the book is different than the name of the... I don't mind if the series name is different than the name of the book. That's mm. not my issue. But have it written somewhere. Oh, okay. Yes, I understand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. If, it's, if it's not the name of the book, like, if the series name is different than the name of the first book, that's fine. Yeah. I'm okay with it. But at least write it somewhere. Yeah, I get that. So that we know, like, you know what I mean? Otherwise, like, I understand why it's called The Letters of Enchantment, because I've read the book. Yeah. But it just, it just seems like, like, why? Yeah. It doesn't, it's not necessary to have a different name. Could just be, like, the Divine Rivals duology. Yeah, like, if you're not, if you're not... Ab- like, and I say advertising in the loosest sense of the word. Like, if you're not advertising it in the book that 
it's called the Letters of Duology series or the Letters of Enchantment Duology. Like, then why have a title for it? Yeah. If you're I not going to put it in the book. It's fair. I will say that I'm only just discovering how much I apparently care about this. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. No, I feel like I, it, I feel kind of similar with the last book because I feel like I didn't realize the steps to like, this is a duology in a series of a different name. And I was like, there's so much to this that I didn't really understand and look up too much because I hadn't read any of the other books. So I was like, I don't want to accidentally see a spoiler. But I was like, why is it just like, why is there so much to it? Yeah. Yeah. No, I get what you're saying. I feel you. Yeah. So. Anyway. (laughs) Back to Divine Rivals. I'll stop. The singular book. I'll stop. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's okay. Um... We're reading chapters 1 to 12 this week, so we actually start out with a prologue. Um, Siblings Iris Winnow and Forest Winnow are waiting for a train. Um, I always find it, I just cut in myself off, but I always find it hard to get into a new book because I'm like, you're just jumping in somewhere and I, I just like, I do struggle for a while to like get my feet in there bearings Bearings, yes that's the right word but I do like I was reading it and I was like I almost felt like I needed to read the first few chapters and then start taking notes because I was like what's important nothing's important everything's important like what the fuck is going on um and like prologues we've seen a few times where like the first chapter or the prologue has nothing to do with the rest of the book really like not nothing but like six of crows like the the first chapter in that book is a character that never comes back. And my niece is reading it now and she's like, who the yeah. fuck is this guy? And I'm like, <laughs> like, don't worry about him. She's like, where's Cass? <laughs> um, Can I, I just, I feel like I have to add something mm. before we really get into it. That yeah. This book is more romance than fantasy. So if you're looking for something like high fantasy, this is not for you. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is a romance novel with a little sprinkle of fantasy elements. Yeah. I would not call this a full-fledged fantasy book. Me neither. But it's not, like, typical. It's YA romance. So it's not, like, it's not typical romance either. No. So. No. But, yeah, the, the fantasy is light. Um... It's also, I just, I expected there to be more fantasy. Even up until the last page, I was like, something's going to happen. There's going to be more. So, like, I do kind of wonder what the second book actually brings up. Because there is, like, a theory that we both have that we'll kind of get in, I guess, maybe week three, that we both said to each other. And yeah, maybe that's still possible. Like, I don't know what happens in the next book. <laughs> so, we'll see. Anyway, we'll get back into it. But... Um, so they're waiting for a train and it's in Iris's point of view and she sees a soldier to her right and she tells Forrest that she should go with him because the soldier to her right is a woman. Uh, but he says she made two promises, one to take care of their mother and two to promise she will enjoy her final year of school and he'll be back in time to see her graduate. But she kind of thinks, like, he doesn't know that because he doesn't know when the war is going to end. She wonders if she had heard the goddess's song, if he would let her go. 
So from that context, we get that he has heard a goddess's song and that's why he's going to war, which is interesting. I was like, what does that even mean? Um, but she knows she can't really do anything about it. So she is about to say something, maybe to tell him not to leave or whatever, but the train calls for boarding and he gives her his trench coat and he gets on the train and well, she hugs him goodbye and she does stop herself from asking how he can leave her. Um, and like how he can love the goddess more than he loves her and their mother because her mother has already like done all of this and like tried to guilt him into not leaving. So she doesn't really want to send him off on that note, but he promises to write a reoccurring, a reoccurring theme though. Like he, she thinks about that a lot. Oh yeah. Which I think is common. Um, obviously we don't live in a time. Well, we kind of do live in a time of war, uh, in many places. And luckily we are not impacted as greatly where we live like there's no current war in our country but obviously there is war in many other countries and i i think it's probably a common thing to like be so worried about somebody being gone to war and being like why why are you going you know so it is yeah and it it's yeah especially when it's not conscription right like mm -hmm. when they don't have to yeah you know why would you like choose i'm sure it is a like why are you choosing your country like yeah over over us and we sort of get a little bit more into like her family life like it's not super stable so you know i sort of get it a little bit more mm -hmm. yeah um i think it was more stable when he left than it is than it becomes but like yeah obviously if nobody if nobody was in the army, that would be bad too. So like, obviously I'm not saying either way, but I can understand the struggles and the feelings that someone must have. Um, but yeah, didn't mean to get into that deep of a conversation this early. Um, so <laughs> he promises to write her and then he gets on the train and she feels a piece of paper in the coat. So she pulls it out thinking that he must've just left like a wrapper in there. But it says, just in case you didn't know, you are by far the best sister I ever had. And I'll be home before you know it, Little Flower. So he calls her Little Flower and her name is Iris. Makes sense. Uh, so the next chapter is five months later. And Iris is running in the rain with a broken heel on her shoe. And I'm like, how are you running with a broken heel? <laughs> That sounds awful. I guess people do what they do. Yeah. But I also think it's like, it's like practical heels. Like, I don't think it's like, because at first I didn't know no. what this book was like. And I was like, she, is it like a four inch, like yeah, yeah, yeah. super big heel? That's like a bright red shoe with a giant heel. It just cracked off. Um, anyway, <laughs> it was just a funny thought. Um, and she's wearing her tattered trench. Uh, but she ends up at an old building that was built before the gods were vanquished. And this is kind of one of the first times we, like, talk fully about the gods. Um, but the gods are painted on the ceiling. And she goes to the lift. This is kind of, like, historical fiction, but also, like, kind of British-y. Which a lot of historical yeah, so fiction it, is. Yeah. I find this it sort of reminds me of like the 20s mm -hmm. like the 1920s is sort of the vibe i get yeah. 
Yeah. So they say so. like lift for elevator and loo for bathroom. So yeah. I kind of kept those words in if they were used. Um. Yeah. So yeah. So she goes to the elevator slash lift and she hopes the rain slowed Roman down too. So we don't know who Roman is, but she's hoping that he is also late. Uh, she has to take the stairs up to the Oath Gazette. And she is four minutes late. But as she's walking in, she sees that Roman's desk is empty. Uh, but then she notices, notices he's at the assignment board. And he pulls off the last assignment. So she obviously wanted the assignment. And he basically comes over to gloat that he got it. Um, but she says that she planned for him to get it. And he says it's the final assignment and they're supposed to be dueling to the death. So like, there's some story here, but you can kind of, you can kind of gather that there's assignments on the board. You're on time. You get the assignment. You're not on time. You don't get the assignment. Cool. You don't. Yeah. He kind of slips that the assignment is about soldiers going missing at the front. Um... Which I thought was going to be a bigger plot point. And now that I read it, I realize what it means because I have finished the book. But it's really just an Easter egg. It's not really explained at all. Yeah. It's just kind of interesting. Because yeah. it's just kind of it's just kind of there. Yeah. I really, I guess it's there as foreshadowing. But I really was expecting yeah. something else to come out of this. But anyway. Um, she basically thanks him for letting her know. And he's like, ah, shit, I didn't mean to do that. But he follows her to her desk and asks if she's going to write her own article without all of the information that he has. And she asks if that worries him. And he says, no. And she tells him that he squints when he lies. So that was a lie. Um, he says... But I love that she knows. I know. Like, she knows. She studied him. She can tell that he, yeah. <laughs> I know, I love it. And it, it does come up again in the book. Um, he does say, like, she's the only one who looks at him enough to notice that, which is, like, he can tell. <laughs> um, yeah. Which would be so embarrassing to be called out on that you're, like, you look at somebody enough. To <laughs> yeah, it's like. You're the only one that notices that that's my tell. Yeah. It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> uh, she does think, like, he is handsome. And obviously he's going to be handsome. You're like, of course, they're rivals to lovers. This is the mm -hmm. story. We're getting it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But she then smiles brightly at him and tells him good luck. And, like, she knows that when she smiles at him like that, he just kind of, like, starts to leave her alone. So it's one of her tactics which so i wonder like why she was like when she smiles at him brightly mm. like he immediately leaves her like i wonder why like yeah. is it because he's like blinded by her attractiveness yeah. is it he is annoyed with her pep like what's why yeah why is her smiling at him reason for him to be like oh i'll slink away now it just made, it kind of reminds me of um, one of the Akka books, maybe Akka Math or Akka War, but the main 
woman doesn't smile at him ever. And when she does, he's like, holy shit, do that again. And she's like, what? Because <laughs> she didn't realize she'd never smiled at him. So, like, I wonder if it's because, like, she's smiling at him, but it's not because of him or something like that. Anyway. Maybe. Um, But he basically just says to have fun with the obituaries because that's what she's stuck with since she didn't get the assignment. Um, Iris is at her desk and Sarah Prindle, an editor that works there, offers her some tea. And she, I, th- I think it's just to get Sarah's name in there because she becomes like kind of a friend, confidant, whatever. Yeah. Um, but Iris starts to think back on her first day and how Roman Kit had been the last to introduce himself to her. And she overheard him say that she'll give him no competition and that she dropped out of Windy Grove school, Windy Grove school in her final year. So he knows, like he knows a lot about her past, but he also doesn't think that she's a threat. Um, And this is the first time that we actually get that she did drop out of school. So she kind of broke her promise to her brother. So we're like, huh, why did she break her promise? Mm-hmm. Uh, we also get that they're both going, her and Roman are both going for the same column, columnist, columnist, sure, job. I just say columnist. Columnist. I hate it. I, <laughs> I hate both of them. Um, both of the ways to say it. <laughs> they're going for the same job, to write columns. So <laughs> on the first day, she asked Sarah about him. Um, so Sarah had told her that he was there for a month before her and his grandfather pioneered the railroad so his family has a lot of money he ended up going to a prestigious school and he isn't courting anyone apparently um hmm so she also thinks like she's been there for three months so he's been there for four cool timelines um she planned i love can i be honest and say that he's been there a month longer than her and only has one extra article yeah she must be good that's something (laughs) that would be frustrating i think but it i think he doesn't you know it's not what he wants to do not that it matters by the end of the book what he wanted to do no (laughs) no um does not she basically had planned to ignore him until they had to race to get assignments so she I guess their boss, their boss seems like a dick too, but their boss was basically yes, like, absolutely. Yeah. One of you are getting promoted and you can fight over who gets the assignments basically. But yeah, I guess like it's kind of cutthroat and they need to get there early to get them. But she got the first assignment. Roman got the second and she read his second assignment and was transfixed by his writing and then she decided she's never reading anything else <laughs> ever again that he wrote which is just interesting um yeah but he actually saw her reading it and she asked what the c for his middle name stands for and she ends up teasing him and saying like oh it must be like conceited and like roman conceited kit and like she like throughout the book kind of makes up middle names for him based on how he's feeling and i don't think i wrote it down very often so i kind of wanted to say it now (laughs) yeah um so 
So that first night, she ended up dreaming about him. And that's when she really decided that she could never read his articles again. Uh, because she didn't want to <laughs> dream about him and think about yeah, him too feelings. much. Yeah. Like, care about his writing. You know. Um, but she does think, like, she may need to read the one about missing soldiers. And I'm like, I want to read the one about missing soldiers. Like, when, why didn't we get that article? Because I think it could have helped. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, Zeb Autry, her boss, calls her to his office to say that she was four minutes late. <laughs> four freaking minutes. Yeah. I And I know, I know. I was always a- late like that. Me too. I still am. And like my job, it doesn't I can't matter be anymore. Yeah. My job, it doesn't. I can't be now because it it does matter. But yes. when we worked at the coffee shop, I was late always. Yeah. I would walk into the mall <laughs> when I was supposed to start work. Yeah. And I'd be like, I'm on time. Yeah. But I feel like the, the part of the issue with that was that there was always, um, always nowhere to park. It was always a parking yeah. issue. I'd be like, I'd get there early enough to be on time, and then I'd have trouble parking and be like, well, sorry. <laughs> um, but my boss my boss now just doesn't care. Like, if you're a few minutes late, you stay a few minutes later than you normally would have. Like, it's all fine. And, yeah. like, these people, they stay in the office for hours and hours. Like, it's not even like they... But it's also, like, I don't... So, like, they come in, they write their stuff, they go home. Like, it seems like a very, it doesn't seem super structured, Mm. if you know what I mean. Like, so I don't really understand why, why he's going to get mad at her for being late, except for the fact that she missed out on the assignment. Yes. And maybe that's the reason, but he does kind of seem like he's the type of person that would get mad that she's late just in general yeah but yeah i don't i don't really know i'm like she stays there so late tonight that she's like getting supper on the way home and doesn't get home till dark it feels like so i'm just like if they're gonna stay that late they're getting their eight hours or whatever in it's probably it's definitely more than eight hours but i just don't know how much he's expecting here like how many hours they're supposed to work I don't know what year this is or what time this is. Maybe they're supposed to work 10-hour days. Who knows? Um, So, yeah, she's called into his office, and she just says that she overslept and missed her tram, but it's a lie. Uh, But we don't get why it's a lie, so that's fine. Um, He tells her, obviously, Kit got the final assignment, and she's been late two times since she's been there. So in three months, she's been late twice. Oh, yeah. And I know we're being very flippant about it. And I just feel like in our day and age, it's not as big of a deal. Obviously, your job, it is a bigger deal. Like you can't be later than the students. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. But um, although to be fair, my students, they wouldn't. They would be fine. Yeah. And like you're normally there be fine. early enough that if you were a few minutes late, your students wouldn't even be there anyway because you have to be there before the... Yeah. So, like, yeah. Anyway. um, So, he tells her now, like, he's published 10 of her articles and 11 of Kit's. So, like, this was supposed to be her article so that it would be fair 
11 versus 11. And I'm like, so why didn't you just give each of them an article? Why are you doing this whole... Yeah. Like, if that's what you wanted. Yeah. So dumb. Um, But he does also say he had planned to just give Roman the job until her essay won the Gazette in Winter competition. So that's kind of why she got the job. So she was working at a diner before that, and he offered her this job and then a potential spot as a columnist and then came up with this whole rigmarole of um, fighting for assignments. Um, He tells her that her writing hasn't been as sharp lately and asks if anything is going on at home. Um... And, like, he kind of seems like he cares in this moment, but then later you're like, where did yeah. the caring go? <laughs> yeah, I agree. His, his his demeanor seemed, like, in this moment he seemed like he was, like, gruff, but actually, like, you know, secretly caring underneath. Yeah. And that sort of goes away. Mm-hmm. And he is not like that anymore. Yeah. Um... But she basically just, like, says, no, nothing's going on at home. And he asks her age, and she's 18, which we love an 18-year-old and older. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we love an 18-year-old. That sounds so creepy. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. guys. I just meant we like when people are adults or almost adults. Yes. Anyway, yeah. he asks if she has any siblings, and she says she has a brother and he was a hor- horologist apprentice, but now he's fighting for Enva. Um, he asks if she dropped out of school because of that, and she doesn't really respond, and she asks about her parents, and she just says she lives with her mother. So we don't know anything about her father, and I don't know if we get anything about her father, which I didn't really realize. Um, oh, Yeah. Which kind of leads more into the theory that we were both kind of thinking, but we'll bring it up later. <laughs> um, so yeah, he tells her he'll think about giving her another assignment, even though, like, that isn't how he does things. Like, she was supposed to get this one. She was supposed to be on time, blah, 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 blah. Um, so she goes back to her desk and she finish- she finishes the obituaries early, but stays around. And Roman had been out to go, like find information for journalist things yeah um yeah so he comes back to the office now and he starts to write and everyone starts to leave except for her and roman and she thinks of the war and she thinks of like normal stories in general like i guess more like i don't know fairy tales and i just like how things happen but she says she knows that the war will end with one god destroyed or both of them and that endings are often found in beginnings. So she starts to type out what she knows of this war, which is obviously a device to get us to know why, what the war is all about. But basically she says, yeah. um, Dacre is a, or was a defeated underling underling god and he was laid to sleep in a grave in sparrow which is a place for 234 years and when he woke up he asked where enba a skyward goddess and his sworn enemy was Um, a nearby farmer told him that she was buried too 
but he said that she is awake and if she will not greet him he will draw her to him um so that's all we really get because zeb actually inter interrupts sorry her and asks what she's working on and he says like they are all there there are already enough articles on how the war mm -hmm. began um and she thinks of the articles that like he's published which are very anti-enva almost like blaming and for all of this a, a little and a little tame yeah. i think like I don't, he doesn't really want to report on what's really happening. He's just sort of like, sort of vague pieces. And I think there's a reoccurring issue too where, so they live in mm -hmm. Oath. And the war is happening quite far away from them. So they feel very far removed from the, the war effort. Yeah. So I think he, they don't really dis, they don't really like, consider it very yeah. often yeah it's kind of interesting like as as a people in the city because it's only really like just over 600 kilometers away realistically yeah but to them that's yeah. ages away so it's it's just interesting but she at this point is obviously thinking of like what he's allowed to be written in the paper and she asks if the chancellor has given him restrictions on what he can and cannot feature and he just tells her not to waste paper on a war in the West that will never reach them. So, like, exactly what you just said. Um, but, like, he obviously, he doesn't answer the actual question that she asked. Uh, if there's restrictions, like, yeah. if, like, it's it's classic, like, propaganda stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she actually takes her essay out of her typewriter and puts it in her bag and... As she leaves, she stops to ask Roman if he wants to grab a sandwich, but he says that he can't. And then she's just like, I feel dumb now. And then she throws her heel away. So I don't know if like the heel completely came off the shoe and she threw that away. I think. Yeah. Because I'm like, yeah. did she walk home barefoot? Like, I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around these shoes. <laughs> and it was a real struggle for me. <laughs> anyway, it's not the point. Um, but on her way home, she goes to an enchanted store, which kind of made me think that magic was going to be even more of a part, but this store was kind of cool. Yes. I actually really liked this mm -hmm. store. Like, I wish we had these in <laughs> real too. life. Like, it'd be cool if other people couldn't it see. It would make my life so much easier. Be... <laughs> well, I guess that's the thing. Can other people, because if someone is shopping at the same time Would as they just you, see their stuff? Then the store must... Yeah. They must see yeah, their things. It's interesting. Um, but yeah, so this store, to actually get into it, only shows her items that she can afford. So like they come in front of her and all of the other ones kind of scatter away, which is cool, but obviously shitty when you don't have a lot of money like she does. Um, but she does know what she can buy, so... She ends up grabbing bread and eggs and she talks to the grocer and he says he's been sending some of his food to Enva's forces because his daughter is fighting and that the chancellor won't join until it's at their doors. So there's obviously like a lot of different thoughts on the war by different people, which I think is super common, but we are getting a bit of that. Uh, so she leaves this store and she ends up slipping on a newspaper outside 
And she picks it up, and it's the Gazette's rival, the Tribune. Apparently there are five papers in town, but the Gazette and the Tribune are, like, vying for first biggest paper, and they're sworn enemies. <laughs> um, but the front mm-hmm. page says, Monsters have been found three kilometers from the war, and it has a picture of a large winged creature. But she thinks, like, these creatures haven't existed since the gods were defeated. So, like, it seems wild that this is a thing. So, like, she doesn't know if she should believe it yeah, or not. It's, yeah, it's almost like it's it's a um, tablet yeah. or something. Um, but the creature kind of looks like what we think of a wyvern. Wyvern. So. Yeah, I think um, so. So she's kind of, like, trying to see if she can read this paper at all to see what it says, other than the headline. But the rain ruined the paper. But she wonders if, like, these creatures are the reasons that soldiers are missing, which would make sense, like, just snatching people up. Mm. Um, so she continues her walk home, which takes an hour since her shoe is broken and she can't really afford the train. Uh, her mother, Aster, is sitting smoking with bottles surrounding her, and Iris thinks, like, the power has been out for weeks, and her mother is drunk, and she actually sold Iris's Nan's radio to buy more alcohol. And her mother says that it was broken, but, like, Iris knows it absolutely wasn't, so she just sold it because she wanted the money. Um... Iris goes to pick up bottles and she thinks of this morning and she was late because her mother was in a pool of vomit and glass. And she obviously had to deal with that before she went to work because she was afraid like her mother could drown in her. Yeah. Would get hurt. Um, yeah. But her mother tells her to leave the bottles now and that she'll deal with them. And she's like, you won't, but she doesn't want to get into a fight. So she just walks away. She makes herself a sandwich and she gets her Nan's typewriter that she has hidden under her bed and she starts to write to her brother. And as soon as this typewriter was introduced, I was like, fuck, her mother is going to sell it and I am already upset. <laughs> Me too! I also, I was convinced. convinced. Especially with what happens in the next, like, yeah. I'll bring it up when it, when it comes up. But I was like, oh my god, it's the typewriter. I it's was gone. so sure but, that her mother was going to sell it, and I was heartbroken already yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so she she starts yeah. writing a letter to her brother about how it's shitty here, and she hates him for leaving, but she still loves him. And she doesn't think she'd be able to get out of bed if she found out he was dead. And, like, we also kind of get, like, he's never written to her in these five months, even though he said that he would. Um, She puts the letter under their shared wardrobe. So she shared a wardrobe with her brother. And she says she did this with her first letter, and it disappeared. So she just continues to do it. And this letter disappears. And she thinks, like, there could be magic here. Maybe it's a ley line. Like, the letter is going somewhere, and she's hoping that it's going to her brother. Um, we also get a bit more about her mother. After two months, her mother started drinking and she ended up losing her job. So that's when Iris ended up quitting school because she needed to make money or they'd be screwed. Um, this typewriter 
says on it, the third alouette, and that it was made especially for D.E.W., Daisy Elizabeth Winnow, which is her grandmother. So that's just an interesting tidbit. Um, When Iris is almost asleep, she hears a piece of paper come back. And like, this is the first time that that's ever happened. So she goes over and looks at it. And the paper just says, this is not forest. Ooh, spooky. So on her walk to work the next day, she is thinking of like all the information that she sent to this person that is not Forrest. Like she told them she dropped out of school, that she started a job, that she's going to make columnists. But she always signed the letters Little Flower. So there is some anonymity, but like really it's got all this information about her life. So if it was anybody near her, she would know they would know who she was. Yeah. Um, and we're like, where's the story going? <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh my God, maybe it's one of the gods or something like that. Yeah. I, I actually wondered if it was getting to her brother until obviously we figure mm-hmm. out what's happening. I was like, oh, her too. brother is getting them somehow, which I thought was yeah. cool. But So she's walking to work and someone grabs her and pulls her back and like a tram whooshes by. And obviously it's Roman because of course it is. And she like nearly walked in front of this tram and got hit, which is like kind of she was Yeah, I yes, it is. But like it's just so funny. She's like so preoccupied with this mystery person who's not her brother answering her letter. That she's like, I almost got hit by a train. I don't think I've ever been that distracted in my life. Yeah, I I don't think so either. Especially when there's high moving vehicles nearby. Yeah. But, I mean, um, hey. Yeah. But of course, it's it's Roman who pulls her back. Um, and she just says that she was fine. <laughs> You're like, you yeah. were literally just I think about to walk like, out. I think he's like, what are you doing? Why are you, like, you're, what's wrong with you? And she's like, I was fine. I wasn't going to walk out I was out doing the whole yet. time. <laughs> like, um, okay. It um, just, this is, it, this is the part that, like, what you, like, I think we're talking about off, like, mm-hmm. when we weren't recording about how, like, this miscommunication thing, like, she's so proud. Like, she doesn't want to admit weakness in front of him. And it's just like, girl, just admit that you were about to get run over. Like, it's not that big a deal. Yeah. Do you know what this I was thinking? This going to give while... him a leg up over you. Yeah. And what I was thinking while I was reading it, and I don't know if it's just, like, the way it's written, like, the, like, historicalness to it. But I was thinking of Pride and Prejudice. Because, like, he's rich and there are families and blah, blah, blah. And she's, like, you know thinking of that a little bit um yeah um so yeah they end up walking in together and they're in the lift together and he asks if she has a column now and if she was working in the office overnight but she's just like you saw me leave like i don't understand why he asked if she was working there overnight because clearly she was not but anyway um he says it wouldn't be fair for her to get a special favor, i.e. another article, because she was late, so she shouldn't get an article. Um, and he says they're supposed to be playing by the same rules. 
she tells him to go talk to Autry. And if he's worried that she'll give him no competition, none at all, she dropped out of Windy Grove School in her final year. And he's like, what the hell are you talking about? And, like, she's literally quoting what he said, but he obviously doesn't really remember it. Like, if someone quoted something I said on a random day, I would have no idea what they were talking about either. But, like, I also feel like he should remember his own words when he talked about her. You know what I mean? Like... If, if yeah. I said something about somebody. Yeah. Like on first impression of meeting someone mm. and I said something about them, I would remember that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can't like, think of, yeah, I can't think of doing it in like the last ages. So I can't imagine. But yeah, I get that. I just Maybe. like, I feel like he's. And especially such specific words. And, like, he should remember what he... Like, even if he doesn't remember word for word what he said, he should remember what his first impressions of her were. Mm-hmm. And he obviously knew that she had dropped out, so, like... And she wouldn't just be saying it. So, like, you can kind of put the context clues together, even if you don't know that's word for word what you said. Yeah. Um, But she leaves him confused, because I guess he didn't... No, she heard him. And she walks away. Uh, she's talking to Sarah later, and she asks Sarah if she's happy here, here at this job. And Sarah says, of course, like it's a great paper, and they get all the holidays. Um, and she offers Iris half her sandwich at the time, too. Like, Iris doesn't have food during mm-hmm. the day. Like, she doesn't have a lot of money. It's unfortunate. I thought it was going to, like, I thought it would come up a bit more or something, but it, it really doesn't come up. It's just she's in a bad but situation like, right now. But I also, like, it's not, like, she doesn't want anybody to know that she is in a rough situation. Yeah. So, like, she hides it. Yeah. So, like, Sarah sees she's not eating and is like, you want some of this sandwich? And she's like, no, no, no. I'm fine. So, like, I feel like she's just covering up and being like, no, no, no. I don't, and, like, I don't want to eat. And, like, when she offered Roman to, like, go for a sandwich, she was like, oh, can I really afford a sandwich? Yeah. But, like, she was like, I wanted, she wanted to, like, pick his brain, like, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know. I think she was thinking about trying to, like, extend an olive branch or something like that. So she yeah. was like, I'll suffer and buy him the sandwich. But, like, she is very, like I just said, proud and does not want to reveal the her situation to anybody. Yeah. And, like, it becomes a theme with both of them in the books that they're very closed off and it's kind of... Yeah, so I guess, yeah, that's the point of it, is that it's just showing that she is not able to accept help, really, and she doesn't want anybody mm-hmm. to know. Yeah, good point. Um, So Iris asks Sarah what she envisioned when she was a girl, like what she thought her future would be, and Sarah says she wanted to work in a museum, which is interesting. And she tells Iris that she knows a lot about the guy lore, and she says that Enva's family, the Skywards, and Dacker's family, the underlings, always hated each other. Um, Iris tells her she could still work in a museum, 
but she tells her like it's kind of a class thing like you have to be born into it or very old apparently so that's the only way you can work at a museum is if you're very old and i guess remember history things that you probably mm. lived through or like so you should be in the museum not working there yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. or you have to be but, like um, born <laughs> or you have to be born in like the family of museum curators yeah. i guess um yes because museums <laughs> are run by families yes it goes through the family and gets passed down from father to son yes and then occasionally they let an old person work there <laughs> um so sarah asks iris what she wanted to do and iris says that she like she's always wanted to write so that is what she's doing um iris asks sarah if she's read the tribune so like the article that she saw last night about the um eth rolls uh but sarah says no because if they are seen reading the competitor newspaper they could get fired which is like insane that is not okay. and i don't even think it's a can i think it's a they will get fired yeah like i think they all know that if they are caught with the opposite with the rival newspaper they will get fired which you're like wouldn't you want to read and see what they're saying so that you know like what your competition is doing like i don't i don't get you it would think but maybe he's the only one allowed to look at it oh maybe yeah Anyway, so it's, it's you know, it's a thing. Um, but obviously Sarah has not, but Iris tells her about the headline and she describes the monster that was on the front page. And Sarah actually tells her that they're Ethrals because we didn't know the name before then, even though I just said it a few seconds ago. Um, yeah. Then Sarah tells her Autry won't like her, like, writing about them. Like, she wouldn't be around, allowed to write about Ethrals in this newspaper because Autry, like you said earlier, isn't writing about that side of the war. He's not writing about, like, he's not being empathetic. He doesn't think the war is coming towards them. Like, he's not writing that kind of stuff. And everybody knows it. Um, But Iris wants to write the truth, but she also needs money. So she needs to write something that Autry would want to publish or she's not going to be able to get the job um roman is in the doorway and they're just like oh shit how much has he overheard um so iris goes to leave but sarah says she hasn't eaten and iris just says she isn't hungry and walks away um roman stops her at the door and he like goes to say something but he stops himself and Irish brushes, Iris brushes past him and he hisses at the touch. And then... Like actually hisses? Like I kind of... I, yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's more like I imagined it as like a, like a whoosh of a breath, like letting out a breath or something. But I was just like, he's already fallen hard for her. And he's just acting like an idiot. Um... Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm just reading. Her arm brushed his chest. She heard him exhale a hiss as if she had burned him. Because <laughs> when you burn yourself, you go, <laughs> like a teapot. <laughs> when I burn myself, I go, <laughs> like a teapot. Oh, my God. Last Friday, oh God, I was filling up my hot water bottle. 
and the water was boiling and came out over the hot water bottle and I still like it's now peel my skin is peeling oh my off gosh. and I was like Jesus like I've burnt myself so many times I think this is the worst burn I've had anyway that's really unfortunate <laughs> so weird um so Iris leaves the which is just something they could do so I'm like why does it matter if they're late what if they like went and did research before they came into the office anyway but anyway she goes to the library and she wants to learn the lore that she never learned in school. So she wants to learn more about Emva and Dacre and what's the reasoning behind their hatred. So we get a bit more information. Um, the Skywards ruled Cambria from above and the underlings reigned below. They killed each other until five were left. So only five gods were left of either, like, in total. And humans yeah. overpowered them and then buried each one, one north, one east, one south, one west, and one in the center. And the gods that are left are Mir, Enva, Alva, Dacre, and Luz. And they were all buried asleep and were not supposed to wake up. So that's interesting. Um, and like, we don't really get anything about the other gods in this book at all. Which is also something. No. I guess they're, yeah, they're just, who cares yeah, about them? I wonder them? what's going to happen in the next book. <laughs> Could just read it. Well, I just wonder, I just wonder, like, what side they're on. Because the Skywards and the mm -hmm. Underlings, like, yeah. hate each other in the lore. Like, they're, like, they've always yeah. hated each other. So, like, I want to know these other three gods, like, where do they fall in yeah. it? Are they Skywards? Or are they Underlings? Are they a mix of the two? Like, is Enva and Dacre, are they, like, the only one left of their respective family? Like, what's going on? And, like, are the other ones some other kind of gods that aren't actually part of either? Mm. No idea. Um, so, Iris is kind of thinking of that and, like, of what she had already written in her, like, essay she had before. So she wants to know, like, how a god draws another god out and she wants to know why they hate each other. But she's going through this book and there are pages missing. And there's nothing on what Dacre's magic is. Or anything about his past. Or anything about Ethril's. So clearly somebody's trying to keep the information from the public. Um, that night, Iris does laundry. And her mother is passed out with a lit cigarette and Iris just eats the tin of green beans before finally writing back and asking who this person is and why they opened Forrest's mail. Um, we actually switch points of view now, I think, for the first time. And it is Roman's point of view. And he gets a letter. <laughs> and he knows it's Iris. Hmm. Um, and he kind of thinks to himself he was expecting a response last night and he tries to ignore the response but he can't he was afraid she'd stop writing to him completely and he kind of thinks now about like kit mansion so the house that the mansion he lives in is built on a ley line of magic and like the house has random magic so he assumes that's why he's getting these letters um 
he thinks back to like when he was 15, he had insomnia and was heartbroken and the house would leave him warm milk and cookies in the kitchen to console him. And he thinks now like the house is up to mischief sending him these letters. So like the house kind of has its own personality and is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I wish my he... house did that. 100%. Like just it. randomly Oosh. made me snacks. Like, come on yeah. house, do better. <laughs> sin your poor house (laughs) hashtag do better house (laughs) i love it um uh he thinks back to when he was letters he knew it was her when she mentioned the paper and because of the way she writes like he has kind of read everything she's ever written not like her but he also in the beginning assumed that forest was her lover but later he did realize it's her older brother. So he knows now that it's not her lover. But in the beginning he thought it was. And, he and when was, I read he that was a line, bit salty about it. Yeah. He was a bit salty I, about it. When I read that line and I was like, shit, does he think that now? Because if I have to go through and read him, like, until he figures out it's actually her brother, I will lose my shit. But he already knew it <laughs> when we, <laughs> and I was happy about that. Good. Um, He thinks a bit more about it and he thinks it, like, tore him up how angry, sad, and worried she was, but he couldn't bring himself to tell her that he was getting the letters because he didn't want to embarrass her or for her to kill him for reading it. Uh, True story, though. Like, these are very personal letters. 100%. He also says, like, he read them as a tactic, too, just to, like, learn her writing better. Like, that's how it started. That's why he... Mm -hmm reread them and like that's what he's still telling himself now even though it's obviously evolved into something more yeah sure a tactic (laughs) yeah um he says similarly last night he when he wrote her back he put the piece of paper under his wardrobe and it disappeared and went to her so like that's interesting um so he reads her paper and he and responds um with he responds by saying that he wasn't reading something that wasn't addressed to him he was picking up paper that fell on his bedroom floor like obviously he's going to (laughs) going to read it um and he kind of thinks in his head like this is the point of no return Uh, if he doesn't tell her now he can never tell her and i'm like why are we doing this (laughs) but of course he doesn't tell her but um, I also feel like now is not the right time to tell her. Like, him thinking, oh, if I don't tell her now, I never can. No, dude, get her to like you first. Yeah. Then tell her. Yeah. Like, legit. Don't, if you yeah. tell her now, she'll stop writing you. Yeah, exactly. And then work will be so fucking awkward. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because, like, There's I'm pretty times. sure she... Like, I'm pretty sure in those letters she talked about how her mother was, like, drinking again and, like, lost her job mm-hmm. and shit. So, like, yes. he knows all of that and has to pretend he doesn't know. And she has to, like... So can you imagine if their relationship stays, like, a professional relationship, except now this time she knows that he knows? It would just be hell yeah, awkward. Yeah, it would be... It would be so awkward. Real bad. Yeah. Yeah, he needs to give her something in return so she isn't so pissed. Um, 
But yeah, she writes him back and she asks him to give back her letters, but he says he can't return them. And obviously she thinks that he threw them out or something. Um, Yeah. And she tells him she'll stop bothering him and that she's sure her letters were a good laugh while they lasted. And he kind of thinks like he should be relieved and like let this be the end of it. But he writes back and says he thinks it's best they stay anonymous, but also says he will gladly read anything she writes. So he doesn't want it to end against his better interest. But I also, I I don't think this part is fair. Like, as much as Mm -hmm. I'm like, yes, like, don't tell her because then she'll stop. I don't like that he is leading her on to believe that he doesn't know who she is. Yeah. I don't think that's fair. No, I completely agree. Um, so the next day at work, Zeb Autry is telling them to let him know immediately if they get an offer to be a war correspondent for the Tribune. And we're back in Iris's point of view, but they're passing around like the job listing for this and she gets it and she reads it. And she realizes, like, a war correspondent gets paid double what she makes here. But obviously there's danger. But as a war correspondent, you're not for either side. You're kind of neutral. And you'd be going to the front to report on the war. So, like, you'd have some protection-ish. But it's still obviously dangerous. Um, But she's like, can't look at this. If I stare at this too long, Autry will think that I want the job. Um, Autry thinks the Tribune are just trying to scare the readers to sell more papers and that this is the West's problem and they should have kept Dacre Dacre buried um, because, like, that was their job and it's their fault that he's up so they should deal with it and, like, it's not coming to them yet. So, like, he's very much like, this is never going to be our problem. But... Sarah asks him then, what about Emba, since she was their god to keep buried, because they live in the east, and Emba was laid in the east, so they were supposed to keep her buried, and obviously they did a poor job of it. Um, And he says that they did a poor job of it, like, that's exactly what he says. But he also says, she's only taken weak-minded people with her song, which... Mm is awful obviously and like iris is there like seething because like her brother is one of the people that went and like she knows he's not weak-minded so it just makes me dislike him even more um iris thinks to the western borough which is where the war is and they're asking for help and when dacre started his destruction And nobody really believed that anything was happening outside. Because, like, it's not like they have cameras and shit. Like, well, it's not like they have, like, live videos and shit, you know? Um, But they only started believing that there was a war when Enva started calling people in the East to go fight for her in the West. Um... The southern and central boroughs responded first and sent aid, but they all kind of underestimated Dacre and his devout who fought for him. And that obviously makes her think 
like, and wonder if Forrest is still alive. But I think, like, it isn't super spelled out until later, but I think everybody responded to help except for the East. We don't hear anything about the North, though, do we? No. That's what... There's no map either, which, like, maps no. confuse me at the best of times, but I was there was no map. I feel like there's gotta... I f- yeah, I, I, my... There's gotta be a lot in the next book. Yeah. My, like, it just... It's odd, too, because it seems like the religion in this world is based on which god you follow. Hmm. And, like, realistically, they're all... They're all up for grabs, right? Like, you could you could le- theoretically support any of them and it be okay, except for the fact that this war has started. So there are Dacre supporters and there are Enva supporters, and depending on where you live, sort of depends on how okay it is socially. So, like, they're mm-hmm. in the East, most most not all but most people support enva so you don't really want to say you're a daker supporter in the east because the east is where enva was buried so most people like worship Mm -hmm. enva whereas i don't know about the west but like daker has supporters like he has people fighting for him so obviously there must be Daker worshippers that are following him. So, like, I don't know. It's just very, like, it hasn't really been spelled out, but I'm, that's what I'm. Yeah. And it's a bit different, too, I think, because the gods have been buried for, like, almost 250 years. So it's easy not to, because they've been sleeping. So it's easy to not actually support any of the gods in their lifetime now. And now that the war started, I'm sure it's like, oh, shit. Where do we, what do we do now? Um, and it feels like, like, it feels like Autry doesn't really support anyone. He's just like any of the gods. But obviously there's also like somebody above him being like, this is what you can and can't write. Like, it's not just him. Yeah. Um, so Autry ends up calling Iris into his office and he offers her an open essay And if it's better than Roman's essay, he'll seriously consider her for the job. And I feel like this is kind of harder because, like, she needs to come up with her complete own topic. But she obviously needs to write something that he would want to publish. So it's like, I would much rather be given a subject. Um, Because she's thinking to herself, like, she wants to write about the quote-unquote weak-minded individuals. But, like, she can't do that. Like, she can't write about the people going off to war because he would obviously not want to publish that. Um, Later, I guess kind of after work-ish, Roman catches up with her and he asks if she's hurt because she's kind of limping a bit. But we get in her head that she's wearing her mother's two small shoes and, like, they're obviously causing blisters and stuff, but like her shoes broke yesterday and she doesn't have the money to go buy a new pair. So she had to wear her mother's. Um, so, but she just says that she's completely fine and like looks at him like he's being an idiot. But he yeah. asks her about the open assignment then. And she does tell him like in full transparency that Autry did give her one. And she tells him it isn't a special favor, 
because he had mentioned that earlier and he says it is um and that autry wants to give her the job because he pities her which is just like i'm like how did we make this turn why is he being such a jackass in this moment i like i was like what the fuck is going on we went from him his point of view of him being like i don't want her to stop writing me and now he's being a like it's just shitty yeah i was like why is he doing this and why aren't we in his head especially and especially since like he knows like what she's actually dealing with so you would think that he would be a little bit less of an asshole i was just surprised yeah um so obviously she's pissed by that comment and she asks if it's because she's low class and out of her depth and if he thinks she should be washing dishes or cleaning homes for people like him so she yeah yeah good. exactly yeah good for her and he says he didn't say she doesn't deserve to be there but that she dropped out of school and she asks if he judges people on that and he says she's been running late missing assignments and she's sloppy and unreliable and you're like dude what are you doing why are you doing this um but she just says it's good to know that if she gets it, it's because of pity. And if he does, it's because his father bribed Autry. And she turns to leave and, like, tears are burning her eyes. And she thinks the words, like, I hate him in her head as she walks away. And she hears him say, wait a minute. And not to run, but, like, she's gone before he can catch up. Yeah. And, like, good for her, man. Because that was a dick move. 100%. I just felt like it was so out of character after being in his head to say that. I just didn't really get it. And it was just kind of like, I just, I don't understand. I kind of wanted to be in his head for that to see it like unravel in a way that he was good meaning, but realized he said the wrong thing. And that's not what it felt like. But yeah. Correct. Um, so Iris comes home and obviously she's still really pissed about what Roman said to her. And when she walks in, all of the candles in the apartment are lit and like she smells actual food. And her mom is there and has her hair and her makeup done and she's wearing like her best dress. So I'm like, oh my God, she sold the typewriter. <laughs> like I know. In this minute, I know. I'm like, she sold it. And then I was like, or did she sell herself? Like how, I was like, how nitty gritty are we going to get into this book? Um, And Iris is like, are we expecting company? Like what's going on? Because her mom was not like just passed out on the couch. Um, But her mom was like, no, no, I just want us to have a special dinner the way we used to when Forrest was around and... She went and got dinner from Iris's favorite restaurant, and it was, like, a roast with veggies and, like, bread rolls with butter. And I'm like, that's your favorite food? <laughs> I just... Boring. I don't know. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe there's no... Like, I guess it's... I guess in this world, there's no, like... There's no other... There's no like, Tex-Mex. Country. There's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? You're not going to have Italian pasta or, like, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like, any sort of, like, food from other places. Yeah. So, I don't know. I guess this is that's as good as it gets. So, like, they sit to eat, and Iris actually realizes that the, 
this food is probably coming from the money from the radio sale. Yeah. So. Which is good, because I, too, was like, what did she sell this time? Yeah. But apparently it was still the radio money. Um, So she was like, oh, great. My, the radio money probably got this dinner along with some alcohol. Um, And her mom, like, tries to ask her questions and be interested in her work. Um, And, like, it's the most, I think, coherent her mom is the entire book. And, like, she looks at her and is like, she sees that her eyes are a bit glazed and realizes, like, shit, she's not entirely sober. But, like, you know, she's engaging. Yeah. Yeah. Is she not, is she sober? No, but she's not, like, falling on the floor as of this moment. She's not, like. Asleep with a cigarette in her hand like she was yesterday or, like, lying in her own vomit like she was the morning before. Like, it's it's little steps, I guess. Yeah. Um, so she asks about life at the Tribune, and Iris has to be like, I work at the Gazette, (laughs) like, so obviously she doesn't even realize where her child works. Which is kind of funny. Um, and, like, her mom actually knows, can tell that, like, something's up. So she does tell her about, like, all the minor stuff going on at the paper. She doesn't tell her about, like, Roman and, like, the stuff that he said and how they're, like, in league against each other. But she does tell her, like, what's been going mm-hmm. on. And then she asks her mom if she'll help her curl her hair later. And her mom's like, yeah, sure. So they go into her mom's bedroom and, like, her mom brushes her hair and sets it in rollers. And she asks, like, is this to impress a boy? But Iris is like, no, I'm just, like, I'm sick of looking like a slob. And But so, like, it sort of is to impress a boy, but not romantically yeah you know what i mean like roman said you're looking sloppy yeah i don't know if he meant that in terms of looks or if he meant that in terms of her work i think i think he meant in terms of her work but she obviously she took it both ways i think because even her boss or autry said that her work is less good than it was before like it's getting less good so it's kind of interesting um yeah so she she took it she just says like i'm sick of looking like a slob so she is she is doing it to impress a boy but not for romantic Mm -hmm. reasons um and her mom is like oh so a boy told you that you look sloppy and he's young and handsome and swab and so he knows that Iris is a better writer than he is, so he's telling you those things to distract you. And I'm like, Mom hit the nail on the head. Yep. Like, she's pretty she smart like, for, yeah. like, being she's drunk. She's like, this is, like, uh, this is a lot. <laughs> she got it yeah, right on. I just. That was a lot to deduce based on wanting her hair curled. One, one actual conversation. Because, like, they haven't been having conversations. Yeah. Like, real ones. So, yeah, it's something. Um, So, for Iris, like, this moment of her mom doing her hair sort of made it feel like it used to be before Forrest left. And she thinks about the moment that he decided to enlist. 
Um, and apparently he, she said that he was walking home and Enva stopped him in disguise. And he chose to listen to her music, which apparently welled in his heart, making him enlist. Which sounds like just magic to me. Like maybe she took control of his faculties to make him want to enlist. I feel like it's less... I feel like it's more persuasion than it is taking control, if you know what I mean. Like there's a very subtle difference, and I think that's what happens when we figure out shit later. Like, I, I do mm. think there's a bit of a difference like, between so, the ways they do it. But I think she is mag. Okay, fine. But she is magically persuading them to join her yeah. cause. Like, I don't... I think that if he was given the option and said, Hey, do you want to join my war? He, I don't think he would have said yes. Yeah. I don't know. Like... I think she had to use magic to be like, join my war. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I got what you're saying. I just, I don't really and, know. And like almost hypnotized him. Yeah. I don't know. Because she said when he came back to the house, he had like feverish mm. eyes and like he wasn't acting like himself. And he told her he had to go answer the calling. And she actually said she wanted to ask him if he loved the goddess more than he loved the two of them. But she was too, she was a coward. Mm -hmm. So she didn't ask. But she wanted to. So again, hearkening back to like how at the beginning when they were at the train station and she said like, do you like, do you not love us as much as you love the goddess? Like she was thinking about that then too. She asks her mother then um, if she thinks that Forrest is still alive. And her mother is like, she's sure that he is because she would know if he had died. And she's sure everything's going to be all right and that he'll be home soon and everything would start to get better. Um, so skip to Roman's point of view. So I think we get a little bit more back and forth now. Like the first like couple chapters were exclusively yeah. for Iris. But now we get a little bit more of the back and forth. So, like, he's really pissed about his conversation with Iris. I think, like, it got away from him in a way that he didn't <laughs> yeah. intend. Uh, and he doesn't realize that his parents have company. And his mom's like, come into the room. Come meet our visitors. And, like, his dad is there. And just from the little, like, not even a description, but from what we understand through Roman is that, like, his dad is like really cranky son of a bitch and like wants everything his done his way and is like really an asshole if things don't go his way. Um, and he said like his mother was soft and gentle but distracted since Dell died. Yeah. We don't know who that is. Uh, and like a little like like a little bit of a space case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll from say. grief. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the visitor is Dr. Herman Little, who is a chemist at Oath University. Didn't realize he was Dr. Little. <laughs> it just makes me think of... <laughs> ah! Sorry. <laughs> um, and his daughter, Eleanor, um, and I was like, well, right off the bat, this is a marriage Oh, a hundred percent. You could see else it from a mile. A, why else? <laughs> yeah, mile away. 
Uh, and Eleanor, he said that she looks delicate and petite, but, like, her eyes are, like, mm-hmm. ice. So, like, I'm like, oh, well, she's definitely a bitch. Uh, and his dad tells him to go get ready and join them for dinner. And he's, like, he doesn't dare, like, disregard his father's words. Uh, and here we learn, I guess Dr. Little asks him, like, how old he is. And he's like, I'm 19, sir. So we know he's, he's 19. He's a year older than Iris. So he's a baby. Yeah, they're yes. both babies. But they're not 16, which we appreciate. They're not 16. Yeah, they're legal. <laughs> so he goes to his room and he's immediately looking for a letter from Iris. And he realizes, oh, she probably isn't home yet because she walks to and from work and doesn't take the tram. And I'm like, great. I'm glad you noticed. Stop being an asshole. Yeah, right? I just, I... Um, yeah. And he also notices, like, the boots she's wearing mm-hmm. suck. So. And he has to, like, yell at himself to stop thinking about her. So he goes down to dinner and he notices that his nan is not there. And she usually, like, speaks her mind and doesn't care what others think. And so, like, obviously his dad orchestrated it, so she would not be present. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, I wish she was here. So dinner, for the most part, is uneventful. Uh, The two dads do most of the talking while Roman, like, just sits across from Eleanor. Um, uh, So, yeah, so his family comes from new money. Um, so they are snubbed at a lot of social events where most people come from old money, which, you know, is an old story. So his father wants him to gain a position of power at the newspaper so that their family will have more respect. And like, in my brain, I don't know, because <laughs> I'm not rich. So like, I don't know what the circles are like. I don't, I don't travel in them. Um, but... I don't understand how having a job at a newspaper gives you respect. No. Because in my mind, people with old money would be like, I never have to work again. And like, it's that that would earn you respect. So just being like a socialite. Yeah. And and just socializing that. I guess... It's more respectful than, like, what he wanted to do. But I, I agree. His father's like, in the realm of the things you're good at, <laughs> this is what would get our family respect. And I'm like, well, that's already being nicer than I thought he was. Yeah, it's just being a journalist is respectful now. Like, not that it's not in our current climate. Yes, of course. Well, like, journalists, yeah. great, great job. You would think... But like, yeah, no, I completely agree. I don't really get it. <laughs> anyway, I don't understand his dad's motivation, but it's fine. Um, so I guess the mom tries to like get in on the conversation and says to Eleanor, like, I heard you're a really beautiful piano player or something like that. And she's like, oh, yes, but I don't play anymore because music is associated with Enva. And apparently they are Dacre sympathizers. And Roman sort of thinks now that Dacre sympathizers are usually either religious zealots, uh, ignorant of Dacre's mythology, 
or they're afraid of Enva's magic. Like, most of the sympathizers are one yeah. of those three things. And Roman, like, finally just speaks up and says that, like, Enva's music wasn't something to be feared because her songs were supposed to guide souls from one realm to the next. And, like, apparently her songs are truthful and full of knowledge. So, like, I think part of the reason people are afraid of her music now is because when you hear her music, it, like, pulls you into the mm-hmm. cause. Because, like, that's what everyone says when they hear her song, hear her, when they hear her music, they rush yeah. to enlist. So, um, I think that's why people are, like, afraid of it. Which is, like, like... Um, but his dad I, is... I, I get why, but it kind of makes me feel like at least Roman thinks that it's something different, too. Like, it kind of makes me wonder, does she just make them see the truth? And that they need to, like, that's why I, I don't really understand. <laughs> and I think that's a common thing in this book. Like, the magic isn't really explained. Yeah. Um, his dad is just, like, pissed that he's, like contradicting them in either way like in any way like seeing that they're Dacre sympathizers and then he's like defending Enva so his dad Mm -hmm. is like pissed and like makes an excuse and is like oh he's read one too many myths as a kid and they move on to talk about like when he's going to be given the columnist job and he's like so I think Roman says like you know I'm up for it there's someone else in the running too and his dad makes a comment that he'll definitely get it, even if he has to bribe Zeb. And that makes Roman think back to what Which Iris like, said, obviously, because he's like, She was right. <laughs> That's true. Yep. So that obviously pisses him off. So he's like, oh, excuse me, I have to go work on my article. And his ter- parents are like, sit down. We have great news. And guess what's coming? They're like, we've arranged a marriage between you and Eleanor. <laughs> And he's, like, in a panic, and he's trying to refuse. But his dad is, like, forces him to agree. And he looks at Eleanor, and he's like, well, she wasn't shocked at this news. So she obviously knew the whole time. And he sees, like, a hint of fear in her eyes. So, like, he's like, well, she obviously doesn't want to marry me either. And I guess he doesn't really fight it because... He feels guilty about something, and we don't know what it is yet. Um, And he says he failed in his most important duty once before. And he should just agree to do this for the good of the family. Yeah, which is wild. Yeah. I mean, it happens. Like, maybe not as much anymore, but like, Hmm. happens. So he goes back to his room and he has a panic attack. Uh, And he thinks that, like, it's his fault, he's his father's sole heir, and he essentially deserves to be miserable. So that's a little hint of what he feels guilty about, I guess, but... Yeah. And also, like, that his life is not all sunshine and roses. Like, his dad's a bit of an asshole. Just a tiny bit. So he's... Just a tiny bit. So he sees that Iris has actually written back, and... It's asking him what he knows of Dacre and Emba. Um, his house is magic, so he asks the house to turn the light on in his room, and it just does. 
jelly. I mean, I know we've got like voice commanded yeah. stuff nowadays, so I guess we could kind of do the same thing, but it's no, not the same. It's you gotta set it all up, and then sometimes it doesn't listen. But Jeff did set our Christmas tree up so that I could just say, "Hey Google, turn on the tree," and it would do it, and it was my favorite. <laughs> yeah, I love it. That's amazing. Uh, he looks through all of his grandfather's books that he has in his room. And his dad was like, uh, his grandfather was obsessed with mythology, which is so convenient. And he finds a story to share with Iris. So he types it up to send to her. Uh, the myth. So I guess this is sort of a little delve into the mythology of the world. There are two God families, the underlings and the skywards. The Skywards ruled above and the Underlings below. So, like, I think the Underlings were underneath the Earth and the Skywards were just, like, Mm -hmm. on top of the Earth. Uh, And they hated each other. So Dacre is, like, bored of living because he's immortal and he decides he's going to capture a Skyward. So he asks a human who was the most beloved and the response was Enva because she ferried souls after death and played beautiful music and was like beautiful to look at. So he's like, there it is. I'm going to get her. So he tried to go above and look for her, but the sun hurt and it took days for his eyes to adjust. And he just didn't have the patience to look for her on his own. So he called his hounds up to look, but they couldn't handle the sun. Then he called up his aethrals, which again, like you said, are sort of like wyverns. And they couldn't handle the winds from above. And like eventually he looked himself and he checked a graveyard and found like this regular homespun type of woman and didn't think she would know anything about Emba. But turns out she was Emba. I know. So she asked, like, why he wreaked chaos on the innocents. And he's like, what do you mean? And she was like, your creatures killed all these people. And he was like, oh, but I did it to find you. And she's like, dude, you're the god of healing. Like, you came up, created all this chaos, had your monsters kill all these people. You could have healed them. But instead, you, like, hid away and just waited for them. And he was like, I want you to come below with me and make peace between our two families and rule by his side. And she's like, no. (laughs) She just, like, flat out was like, no, thank you. And Dacre was pissed that Emba denied him, so he started killing innocents to get her attention And she finally agreed to go below with him on two conditions. First one, that he will uphold peace. And the second is that she could play her harp and sing below. Interesting. And he, yes, yes. And he agreed. But he had no idea what her music would do below the earth. And that's all of the myth that Roman had. Like, he doesn't know the ending. Because, like, I guess. His grandpa had papers everywhere and everything shoved in odd places. So that's all of the myth that he has. And he was he wrote out the myth. He sent it over to Iris. And he felt like calmer and not so panicked. Even though it was like 2.30 in the morning and he has to be up for 6. So like just that act of transcribing the myth for her like helped chill Which him out good. a bit. And I guess like just 
Yeah, distract him from the fact that he's getting married. Against his will. So, the next morning, we skip to Iris's point of view. Uh, So, she is already at work. uh, And this time, Roman is late. And he is never late. Yes. Uh, And obviously, we know it's because he had like three hours sleep. And he's like stressed about. (laughs) After writing her that everything (laughs) marrying a complete stranger like you know writing out that big long myth for her um anyway so she actually asked sarah if he called in sick but she was like no and then showed her the marriage announcement that's going to be published so his dad went ahead and like sent along (laughs) the notice that he's gonna be married to Without Eleanor telling and, like, him. sent it to the paper to print. And, yes! like, his co-workers are gonna read it. So, like, it's just, it's another, like, obviously his dad is shitty. We know that. But it's just a moment of, like, wouldn't you give him a warning so he doesn't act like a complete ass when he shows up to work? Like, I don't know. Wild. Yeah. But I think the reason it's going to Iris is because Iris is the mm-hmm. one responsible for typing up the obits and the and the yeah. and the announcements like yeah. that's sort of her job so i don't think everybody knows it yet yeah yeah like, so i guess like week to week one of them writes their article and the other one deals with this more menial stuff and then like when the other one has the article the other one does the thing so like it makes sense that she's getting it but it's also like i just i'm i'm just blown away by his dad <laughs> yeah his dad is is yeah an a-hole. Um so Sarah actually like apologizes Yay. to Iris when she gives her the marriage assass- announcement and she's like, "Oh, I always thought you guys would make a great <laughs> pair." And apparently some of the other editors like legit thought that they were going like to end bet, up together. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Iris sort of like laughs it off and is like <laughs> Me and Roman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, he hasn't looked. And she says, oh, but he, has, he hasn't He has looked at me <laughs> that way. As if, like, she's looked at him that way. But he yeah. would never look at her that way. And this is legit coming off the heels of him being like, the only reason you'd get the job is if is because he pities you. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> I just, I don't understand why she's gone all of a sudden into, oh, he was mean to me, so yeah. I think I like him. You know what I mean? That's what but it seems like I think she always like thought he was bit. handsome, and like, if he wasn't an ass in the beginning, she would have had a crush on him, and she kind of like, spite likes him. <laughs> hmm. Anyway, so, like, she was like, oh, he's never looked at me that way. And she's like, They're com- we're complete opposites, so it wouldn't work. But Sarah's like, well, one time, one time he did. <laughs> but then she does write that one, one time. But, like, she doesn't finish that sentence. So, like, we don't get a- yeah. anything about the one time. Um, anyway, so she looks at the announcement and it's like, the wedding will be in one month. I'm like, this is yeah, fast. It, it, and I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, clearly um, this isn't what's supposed to happen. What is happening here? <laughs> Just so ridiculous. 
Yeah, it's a bit all over the place. Anyway. Um, but Iris is, like, annoyed. But she's trying not to be annoyed that he's engaged. But she is yeah. annoyed that he's engaged. And, like, he finally walks in and she wants him to look at her so she can, like, tease him like she normally does. But she notices that he's, like, distracted and pale and something's wrong. And, like, he's just, like, looking at his typewriter and not typing. So she goes over and actually congratulates him yeah, on Yeah, and his it's, engagement. like, it's not in a mean way. Like, she actually thinks that he, like, was courting this girl. No. Like, so I understand why she does it. Yes. It's just kind of funny because we know he's like, fuck this. And she's like, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, 100%. She legit thinks mm-hmm. that this marriage is legit. So she goes over to congratulate him and just to sort of be like, well, dude, what's up with you? And he's like, what are you talking about? And she was like, your dad sent this announcement mm-hmm. over. It's going to be in the paper tomorrow. And he makes it abundantly clear that he is unhappy about it. Not with her, but with yeah. his dad. So she offers him help on his missing soldiers piece since her brother is a missing soldier. Uh, and she's like, I'm going to the deli to buy two sandwiches and I'm going to eat them on a park bench. And if you want to come, you can. If you don't want to come, I'll eat both sandwiches. And in my head, I'm like, girl, you can't afford to buy two sandwiches. But, like, she does it anyway. We do learn later that Um, he pays for herself. Because, like, I I was like, you can't offer to buy him a sandwich. You don't have the money. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, yeah, so... He does. He's like, okay. And I'm like, isn't it a bit early for sandwiches? Like, if he has to be up at 6 o'clock in the morning, he's late for work. But I can't imagine he's lunchtime yeah, late for work. you make a point. And they're going to eat sandwiches at, like, yeah. 8.30 in the morning? Interesting. Yeah. It's just weird. Anyway. They go sit awkwardly on a park bench for a bit. And they just talk about the sandwich <laughs> quality. Now the pickles aren't great. Scintillating conversation. Roman actually apologizes about what he says about Iris when she first showed up at the paper. Like about her not finishing school Mm -hmm. and not being competition, that sort of thing. And he tells her that she's talented and that if she earns that promotion, she deserves it. Yeah, we love a man that'll apologize. Which is, yeah. That's what he should have said well, yesterday. Yeah, he shouldn't have said it. But he didn't. Yeah. Uh, is it yeah. because her hair is nice Yeah, and that's the other now? part of this, is she looks very cute. Mm-hmm. Um, she asks, actually, about his fiance, and he admits that they've only met one time, and he doesn't love her. And, like, she doesn't really understand why he's yeah. marrying her then. She's like, why are you marrying her then? And he's like, I don't want to talk about it. And she's like, oh, okay. Okay, dude. Yeah. Chill your chill the beans. <laughs> um, so he does ask for help. He's like, you said you could help me with my article. And he shows her his notes so far. And she says that, like, you've got all the facts there, but there's no feeling. And she was like, your topic is about missing soldiers. That's an emotional, mm-hmm. like, topic. You want the reader to feel the loss. So he's like, well, your brother is missing. So, like, tell me about it. And 
she tells him that she assumes he's unable to communicate due to a dangerous mission uh, since he did promise to write her and she knows that he wouldn't break a promise if she and she hasn't like received a letter from a commanding officer telling her he's dead or missing or anything like that and Roman asks what it feels like and I actually had to like put the page down um, because her answer like I'll add in the writing in this section is Mm -hmm. the writing is really good because the answer is like heartbreaking so she says um he says what does that feel like how would you describe it and she says it feels like wearing shoes that are too small which she is wearing shoes that are too small she's wearing her mother's shoes with every step you notice it it feels like blisters on your heels. It feels like a lump of ice in your chest that never melts. And you can only sleep a few hours at a time because you're always wondering where they are. And those worries seep into your dreams. If they're alive or wounded or sick. Some days you wish that you could take their place no matter the cost. Just so you can have the peace yeah. of knowing their fate. And I just really, like, it was... It's not mm-hmm. like fancy like language, but I just I just I don't know. It really was a really appropriate and like just a really heartbreaking yeah. description. Yeah, I agree. And I really liked it. It was well written. Um, so he asks if he can quote her, but she says, mm-hmm. Yes, but keep me anonymous. And he apologizes for her brother. It's like, I'm sorry about your brother. And she says, and they just go back to work. Um, so later that night, Iris gets home from work and her mother is not there. Um, and she's not really worried about it yet because sometimes her mother goes clubbing and comes home when the bars close at midnight. So she goes to her room and there's another letter from the closet, even though she hasn't responded to the myth letter yet. Like she got the, the myth but didn't respond right away and now there's something else and the letter is like very i don't know how to explain it it's like talks about wearing armor like that when people look at you they see that you see the you that you've carefully crafted that like hides the interior you but like sometimes all they see are the mistakes you've made like how do you live past that without feeling guilty like yeah you know and then he writes another letter bob apologizing for bothering her and then she responds with a letter of her own and she just tells him like everybody wears armor and those who don't are fools but maybe they're also cowards for wearing armor and being guarded and maybe they can help by starting to show their true selves to one person so and she tells him that she's a living contradiction because she loves her brother but hates what he's what his leaving has done to her family. And she loves her mother but hates her drinking. So most days, she just tries to move forward and accomplish her dream of her brother being safe at home and her mother being well and that she gets a job writing words that will mean something to others. And she tells him, like, that was a piece of armor that I've removed for you. And hopefully yeah. you don't mind so like it's just sort of like they're getting deep i guess like he's questioning 
how he's supposed to live acting like one person but actually yeah. being another and she's just sort of like trying to school him in trying to help him figure out how to live that way like it's all very deep and emotionally uh anyway so he like so she's like hopefully you don't mind that i removed a piece of armor for you and he's like i will try he was like hmm removing an arm removing armor for one person i'll try and do that so the next morning <laughs> roman's wedding announcement is out and all the office is congratulating him and iris thinks it's funny that yesterday he was like annoyed and unsure about it because today he seems like really happy and is accepting everyone's congratulations almost like the person he is is not the the person he's showing is not the person he really is <laughs> imagine hmm. Hmm. to be fair it was all right there for her to see the fact that she can't yeah, figure it out was a little bit like come on anyway um he makes eye contact with her while he's like accepting all these congratulations and he drops the mask almost <laughs> as if removing a piece of armor what and she sees like the real him for a minute and then he puts it back up for everyone else uh so she sits down to work and later on sarah brings by a note that they're hoping to get into tomorrow's paper um yeah it's the description of somebody who died but they don't know who the person is so it's like a yeah john or jane doe um and they're hoping yeah, so somebody can identify like, yes this is this person uh yeah i know that person yeah so it's a woman in her mid-40s wearing a purple coat and barefoot and they were hit and killed by a tram so and like, they were barefoot because it's her mother. Loki. She has her shoes. It's like so sad. Ugh. Yeah. So she literally just like she knows, right? Like she reads it and is like shit. So she just gets up and just leaves and goes to the police station. But like mm. obviously she's in shock and she sees her mother on the table and she's like yeah. that's my mother and then she faints um and she heads home later and she's got all of her mother's stuff and she just cries herself to sleep in her mother's bed um next morning she wakes up to someone banging on her door uh it's actually roman <laughs> and he's concerned because yeah yeah he just shows up at her house and it's like one how do you know where she lives I said, like, one, as if I was going to list a bunch of things. But that's really the only thing. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so he's actually concerned because she left work yesterday and then didn't come in this morning. And <laughs> it's kind of funny because she's all disheveled. And initially he thinks that, like, she's not alone and that, like, she's just, like, yeah rolling out of bed from being with somebody yeah and his and she says his voice is different but then she's like i'm alone and then his voice changes back again and like it changes the way he looks at her it's kind of funny yeah just you know it's 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 fun i guess 
anyway, so she's just like, the only thing is she notices that, but at the same time, she's just mortified that he can see into her crappy apartment and like he can see mm-hmm. all the candles everywhere indicating she doesn't have electricity right now. Like, anyway, she just, she's got and her he, back he literally up. yesterday. Yeah, and yesterday he was like, everyone pities you because you're poor. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. like, obviously this is not what she wants to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and like, so she doesn't really want to tell him about her mother because she doesn't want him to pity her more like oh look at your crappy apartment and oh your mother died oh your life is so awful (laughs) that's so bad (laughs) right but like i feel like that's what she thinks is gonna happen so she's like oh i'm not telling him shit um and she tells him like i'm okay i was just not feeling well and that's all and i'll be in tomorrow and i'm like tomorrow yeah it's just yeah. Why are you doing this to yourself? Yes. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Anyway, he offers to like buy her some soup or a sandwich or something. And she's just like, no, just get out. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, take him up on the soup. Yeah, you don't have money. But she's obviously, obviously she's like in shock and shit. So like, yeah. I get it. But I'm also like, just say yes. Get some yeah. soup. I know. But she just wants to like grieve in peace, I guess. Mm-hmm. So this is the one thing that I really like. So he's like, okay, I'll leave. And he actually also, in saying that, he brings her, I didn't write it down because I forgot, but he also, like, when she left yesterday, she left in such a hurry, she left her trench coat behind. Mm -hmm. So he brought it to her, which is nice. Yeah. And I guess the other important thing is when he got there, the door was unlocked. Yeah. Because she wasn't going to answer. And then he just opens the door and she's like, ah, shit. (laughs) Yeah. yeah which is not safe and i'm like Mm-mm. we can safely assume that she probably doesn't live in a great part of town yeah um anyway so he's like fine i'll leave but like lock the door behind me and she's like yeah yeah okay so he leaves she closes the door she does not lock it out of i feel like it's just out of spite yeah, I think she's also just, like, standing there like, fuck. Yeah. Just like, I didn't want him to come here. Yeah. What the fuck is going on? Yeah. Uh, anyway, but then after a few minutes, like, she didn't really hear him leave. So, like, she looks at her little people and he's still outside of the door waiting to hear her lock it. And I'm like, well, that's kind of <laughs> cute. It is kind of cute. Anyway, so she locks it and then sees him walk away. So um, she, like, spends all day just mope. I say moping, like, obviously your mother dies, you're going to mope. Like, I'm not saying moping yeah. in, a, in a bad way. But she no, spends, like, no. the entire day just, like, listless in her apartment, just, like, wandering through it. Like, she's not even really there. Yeah. And she writes a letter to like the mysterious person in her wardrobe about how everyone she cares about leaves her and she hates having to rearrange her life after they're gone. And she says like, she's not really writing to this person, but she's mostly writing to try and heal the wound and write for herself. And like, Mm -hmm. 
uh, again, like she's in shock because she's not eating or drinking anything. She's just like waiting and it almost feels like she's waiting for her mother to come back home. Mm-hmm. Um, so she gets a letter back. So I'm call I'm saying it's Roman because we know that it's Roman. She doesn't. So I'm just saying Roman. So he tells her the story of his little sister. Uh, Georgiana, <laughs> like from Pride and Prejudice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but he called her Dell. Uh, I completely forgot that her name was Georgiana. Because obviously they call her Dell. Yeah, so I think yeah. they call her Dell because her middle name is Delaney or something like that. Mm-hmm. And she she liked it better. Um, so she is eight years younger than Roman. And while he was dutiful and obeyed his parents, she was, like, inquisitive and whimsical and was, like, you know, not the wild child in a bad way, but just, you know, she could not be contained. And she wanted to go swimming in a pond one day. I think it was, like, her birthday or something. And her parents were, like, no, no you've got a birthday your birthday dinner your birthday ball or something is coming up so Mm -hmm. no you can't go swimming in the pond and then she was like please sneak me out and take me swimming in the pond and he was like yeah okay um Mm -hmm. so they went down and he got out and dried himself off in the sun and like fell asleep and when he woke up she was drowned in the water um yeah it's very sad so that was four years ago so he was about 15 uh yeah and he says he still feels like it's his fault she was i think what seven or eight yeah seven or eight seven i think well yeah it was her seventh or eighth birthday yeah and he says he remembers a month after Dell's death a goddess came to him in a dream and said that she could take away the pain of grief, but would also take the memory of Dell. And he said no. He wouldn't trade a minute of his pain for Dell's life. And he tells Iris that he knows what it's like to lose someone you love. And that even though it feels hopeless right now, eventually the grief will fade, not disappear. And that she will find others to share her pain. And that will help her heal. And he just sort of like reinforces that she is not alone. Even though to her she is alone. Like she doesn't really have friends. She doesn't have any family Mm -hmm. anymore. Like she just has this person in a war. Like I say in a wardrobe. (laughs) That in her mind doesn't know who she is. Yeah. And she, like, I don't know when she thinks it, but, like, there's a point where she's, like, I don't, like, it could be anybody. It could be somebody who's, like, 60 years old. It could be somebody who's, like, 12. Obviously, it's not. But, like, it could be, she starts thinking it could be somebody in the past that, like, there's magic. So it could literally be anything. Like, there could be a possibility that it's someone from the future. Like, they're not really yeah. in her life and probably not going to be in her life, realistically. Mm-hmm. But obviously, yeah, you know it, the difference. 
Yeah, like she she literally does think that like she has no idea if the person is anywhere close to her. Like, and she she does say like they might not even be in the same timeline. Like, mm-hmm. it's magic. Anything's possible. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But yeah. So that's it. That's where we're stopping this week. <laughs> so like we're stopping on a sort of like morose, sad note. Yeah. Like, her just being devastated that her mother has died. It really kind of shocked me that her mother died. I didn't, I I don't know, I didn't really think it was necessary. Like, I get it so that the next part can happen and she's not, like, her mom's not a dependent on her. But, I, I, I don't know, I just was like, oh shit, this is intense. It also sort of makes the night before i think a little bit more like significant because Mm -hmm. she literally like it was her last night with her mother and it wasn't her cleaning her mother up off the floor or like yeah cleaning vomit they actually had like a somewhat sensible you know like dinner and her mom did her hair for it was like they had like one last nice moment yeah like it was like a glimpse of how her mother used to be yeah which, like, is good for, like, remembering her as a person. You know your last moments that she'll think of are probably that instead of the shitty times. So that's yeah. good. It, it's also just kind of bittersweet because you're like, oh, she seemed like she was getting better. Yes. Or she could, she said she was going to try harder, like that kind of stuff. And you're like, shit. Right when you think everything's okay, that's when it all goes to hell. But yeah. Anyway. But yeah. Okay, so uh, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Uh, If you want to get in touch with us and share your thoughts on anything you heard in our episodes, or if you have any book suggestions, please reach out to us by email at coffeeandcoread at gmail.com or check us out on Instagram or Facebook at coffeeandcoread and coffee.coread on TikTok. Also, for those of you that are currently enjoying uh, Crescent City 3, House of Flame and Shadow... Uh, and you want to let us know how you're enjoying it, send us a, drop us a line. Like, we're also currently reading it and loving it. Dying. (laughs) Dying. Dying. (laughs) We're dying over here. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. So, next week, we'll be back with this book, Divine Rivals. Uh, we're going to be reading chapters 13 to 24. So make sure to follow along. And if you're enjoying our chats, don't forget to follow, rate, and review wherever you find our content. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll see you on the next page.